I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1998. The album, the compilation, is sibling revelry. The artists are the Smothers Brothers. And my guest is Mike Scully. Thank you very much for inviting me here to do this. Oh, thanks for having me. So, uh, we're cheating a little bit, um, but it's okay, because everything that is on this 1998 compilation, I'm pulling up the list right now, is from vinyl, obviously. Right. So right. we can very quickly, before we get started in the album, I did want to. I, I should say, I would, I would urge fans, though, to scan their whole catalog. Oh, yeah. in, in going over, you know, we were just discussing, you know, going over some of these compilations. Sometimes the compilation doesn't give you kind of the definitive version of the song. So there's, there's great Smothers Brothers albums like Curb Your Tongue Nave, mm-hmm. uh, Think, ne- Think Ethnic, uh, Live at the Purple Onion. Yeah. Um, you know things like that that are definitely worth seeking out and finding your favorite tracks or your favorite version of a certain bit. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, that for me were kind of the definitive ones when I was a kid growing up that I you know, started memorizing and listening to. I hadn't expected that to happen though when I when I listened to, and I, I think the, the again the picks that I found were on the other greatest hits album that I have or off of the TV show album which also has I think some album tracks. So it's like a weird compilation. So it's hard to know. I'm sure there are like just fans who know 100. percent You know what's yes. what and for what it's from. Yeah. I definitely don't. Um, but before we get too deep into it, I wanted to ask you. I didn't know that you did stand up. I know that you work on The Simpsons. I know that you worked on Parks and Rec. I recognize you from Parks and Rec. <laughs> um, but what's so? What's your history with stand up? Uh, my history with stand up is extremely limited. Uh-huh. Uh, I moved out to L.A. from. Springfield, Massachusetts, in 1982, mm-hmm. did uh, like open mic nights and stuff like that at the Comedy Store and Improv, uh, where you just line up. It's just amateur night, basically, sure. and you do three to five minutes, uh, and and then they tell you to get off. I did that for a couple of years, and then I started writing jokes for other people, mm-hmm. uh, uh, mainly uh, Russian comedian Yakov Smirnov, yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, and then I started writing spec TV scripts. And I kind of fell out of doing stand-up, mm-hmm. with the exception of I was doing uh, what they call audience warm-up, uh, like at, at multicam oh, okay, yeah. sitcom tapings. There would be a warm-up man to talk to the audience before the show, and then in between takes, yeah. you'd just do where you're from, what do you do for a living, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And I, and then I didn't do it for like 30 years because I was told by other writers, you didn't want to get pegged as a warm-up man oh, if wow, you want to okay. be a writer. So I stopped doing it. Uh, Flash forward like 30 years, uh, about a year ago, I'm working on a show on NBC called The Carmichael Show, mm-hmm. starring a stand-up comic named Gerard Carmichael, and we're working really late one night, and at 2 a.m., he just asked if I ever had done stand-up, and I said, yeah, about 30 years ago, and it became his mission to get me back on a stage again. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we, you know, we finished the episodes, and then he kept texting me. And like he said, I met Largo tonight. You got to come down. So finally, uh, he's very persuasive, uh-huh. and I finally caved in one night. And uh, he was doing a show at the Largo in L.A. And I went up and did about, I guess, about seven or eight minutes. Oh my god! The, the I was able to like put together about five minutes of material and memorize it, and then. The last, like, three minutes, I just read jokes from my Twitter feed. <laughs> so since then, I've done it maybe a half dozen times. Really? At, at 
places around town, but uh, mm-hmm. not pursuing it actively. <laughs> sure. That's crazy. I didn't know the last part. That's yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I was going to specifically ask you about working for Yakov Smirnoff, yeah. uh, because that kind of blows my mind. Does he always have pointy shoes? Because when I've seen him in person, he has very pointy, shiny shoes. Oh, that, that interesting. I actually haven't seen him in a few years, mm-hmm. uh, but... Uh, God, I don't remember what his shoes look like. <laughs> He's a snappy dresser. Uh, He's a snappy Yes, dresser. he always was. He always was. Uh, uh, he was a good guy. I, I didn't know, you know, what, like, writing for a comic, like, like selling jokes, I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And yeah. I learned with Yakov that, you know, you, I, I would let him try out the material. Some people, I guess, would make the, the comic pay in advance before. Okay. So you had to, like, pay for the joke before you could try it out on stage. Wow. I always went another route. I would give the jokes... And say go try them, and if they work, then you can yeah. buy them. Yeah, uh, and that seemed to work for me. And then it, you know, it, uh, I felt like it, there was no risk for the performer, mm-hmm. uh, except you know, bombing you know, sure. <laughs> with the course. joke, and then I could just stand quietly in the back of the room and let them take mm. the, the blame for it. Uh, <laughs> but it worked well. He paid. Uh, I think at the time I was paid like twenty five bucks a joke, yeah. and uh, you know, it was a little supplemental income. I was working at the uh, Glendale Galleria. Yeah. Uh, at the time, during the day, uh-huh. uh, doing uh, personalized coffee mugs, putting people's names on mugs. That's great. And then at night, I'd be down at the comedy store trying to sell jokes to people. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. You know, there's this... And I'm sorry, I've already gotten us off, off track. We will that's get okay. back on track. But yeah. there's this thing right now that the... Lo- uh, not Library of Congress. The Smithsonian's doing where they're letting the public, idiots like myself, yeah. sit and transcribe Phyllis Diller's old jokes. Oh, and wow. it's amazing because, uh, first of all, it's, it's great to see how many what you would assume. You get to use your own judgment. Would this be a hit or a miss? Yeah. Then realize you have no idea. Yeah. And then see the names of all these writers, all the people that she would hire. Yeah. And, like, you know, this one seems like shit. But then you're like, think of it in her voice. And it's like, oh, that might work so well. Yeah, it you is. Know? And television is kind of the same writing for sitcoms because you're writing to capture a character's voice. Mm-hmm. And that's what writing stand-up is. And my weakness as a stand-up comic was that I wrote jokes in all sorts of styles, but I didn't have a voice of my own. Okay. Uh, but then if I found somebody that the joke fit what they did, mm-hmm. it works much better. Yeah. Because it somehow it just fits them better. And, mm-hmm. and it's the same as writing you know, TV shows. You want to capture that character's voice and have it sound like them. So if you read it you know, on paper, a show like... Um, like Everybody Loves Raymond, mm-hmm. which I equate a lot like to like the old Bob Newhart show. If you read Ray Romano on paper or Bob Newhart on paper, it doesn't seem that funny yeah. until you're reading it with their voice in your head. 100%. Then you yeah. can kind of picture the stammers, the pauses, yeah. the, yeah, the, the inflections, and it becomes very funny. That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I've never actually, I would like to see a Newhart bit scripted out and see if it reads funny. Oh, I bet it looks super boring. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it is one-sided after all. Yes, you know? yeah. There's so much acting. I finally got to see him live a couple weeks ago and oh, you, wow. the fact that the act, what's great is he just sounds like an old, slow old man. Yes. Until he gets into doing impressions all of a sudden his impressions aren't bad. Oh, When wow, he's doing wow. voices and acting <laughs> the energy just amps immediately and I was like that kind of, I'm like, oh, this is, I get it. We're watching old Groucho and yeah. like, all of a sudden, no. Like, oh, that's incredible. Of, it was kind of fun to watch. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get to the Smothers Brothers. Let's start sure. here. What's the first Smothers Brothers album you remember listening to? The first one I remember listening to, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think is Curb Your Tongue, or at least the song I remember is uh, I Fell in a, Into a, a Vat of Chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I performed it in fourth grade. Uh, m- myself and a friend got up in front of the class and... 
we pretend, pretended we were playing guitar and bass. <laughs> And we had no way of like having the music, but taking out the voices. Like mm -hmm. technology was, we didn't know how to do that. Sure. So we basically kind of yelled our lines over the recording <laughs> of the Smothers Brothers. Oh my god! <laughs> Holy crap! That's perfect. Yeah. And uh, but the first time I you know heard their album, my mother actually listened to them. Mm -hmm. My my mother was very cool, had a very hip sense of humor, and so she got uh, my brother Brian and I. Uh, Brian was also a writer for Simpsons and Family Guy and mm -hmm. Who Carry, and she got us into Smothers Brothers at a very young age, and uh, and we just thought you know we identified with the sibling part of it, of course. and uh, and we just thought that the stuff was hilarious. And Tommy Smothers for me is one of the funniest people ever on television. Like that, you just he's one of those guys where if I just look at him without him talking. I'm already laughing, oh, yeah. and all he has to do is cock his head a certain way, or, <laughs> or take a pause, and I'm gone. <laughs> but yeah, that, uh, uh, I fell in a vat of chocolate. I think was the first one I heard. Yeah, that's a good. Oh, and that's yeah. a good one to first hear. Yeah. Also. Yeah. I uh, so I'm I'm just gonna quickly name the tracks, and then we'll we can go down the list, or we can go whatever order you want. Okay. Uh, but we on some of these, I'm really I know them, but some I know way better than the others. Right. So we got Pretoria, we got Tom Dooley, we got Chocolate, we got Laredo. Daniel Boone, The Saga of John Henry, Gnu's, Crab Walks, Crab Walks Sideways, <laughs> Jenny Brown, The Military Lovers, Mediocre Fred, which is, I think, a masterpiece Mediocre of the song. Fred. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Mom Always Liked You Best, which is a bit. You Can yeah. Call Me Stupid, I Talk to the Trees, Hangman, Cabbage, Michael Rowe, Your Boat Ashore, You Didn't Come In, which oh. is another masterpiece, and then uh, Tommy's song, which is listed here. I'll have to look at it and see what that is, because that doesn't sound familiar off the top of my head. But, so... Um, I mean, we can start with the track, or we can start with... Well, okay, so you, if you heard Chocolate first, um, which is... This has originally released on two sides of the Smothers Brothers. Um, this... Uh, is that correct? Is that correct? Sorry, I guess it is. Um, so, did your mom have a bunch of these albums sitting around, or just a couple? Like, yeah. Yeah, uh, my mom uh, would buy... Uh, I mean, they wouldn't spend a ton on albums. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money, but... My mom liked jazz, and she liked comedy okay. uh, albums. My dad just bought Lawrence Welk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course. So uh, whenever, he, you know, if my dad wasn't around, uh, she would play, uh, her, or she would buy them for us to listen to, because mm -hmm. uh, she knew we liked them a lot. Um, so we would hear these, you know, songs like, like Chocolate or, or like the Ballad of uh, John Henry. Mm -hmm. uh, and stuff. so I, I think I actually... I can't remember if I saw the Smothers Brothers before I heard them. Okay, sure. Uh, or, or if it was the other way around. Because they had a TV show before their variety show. They had a sitcom mm -hmm. where right. Tommy played an angel That's right. who was like lost at sea or something and mm -hmm. comes back and is living with Dick or something. And I remember it, it was like early 60s. It was a black and white thing. but uh, Or maybe I had seen them as guests on other variety shows before they had their mm -hmm. own show. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so like John Henry, and I, they're all kind of a, become a blur because they all came out within a few years of each other. Yeah. It was a, a, a lot of work, and, and Mom Always Liked You Best, and uh, I Talked to the Trees, which always made me laugh, where Tommy's doing it, like, where is he? He's like yelling at, hey, stage! <laughs> Just like, you know, about the dogs going up to the tree and stuff. Um, but there was something very simultaneously juvenile, 
but very smart. Mm-hmm. The, the, something that was like right at my level mm-hmm. and a, and above, over my head at the same time that really sure. appealed to me. Yeah, yeah. In in all their work, God, you, know? you know, I feel like that's you're describing the, definitely the feeling I first felt when I heard them, but also appropriately, like The Simpsons as a kid is like the first place I probably would have felt that way. Right. Like, yeah. I know that's a reference, and I bet that. But then you know, I've got Homer, and I've got a bunch of other idiot characters on this show who are totally self unaware. And that's the other thing, too, is that Tommy is just, I think, an underappreciated actor. It's crazy he didn't have more of a career to me. Maybe yeah. he didn't want it. I don't know. But... Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he was... I, w- I was surprised to find out, you know, over the years that Tommy was, like, the brains mm-hmm. behind the act. That yeah. he was a sharp businessman, a very smart producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he really kind of, you know, ran the... The show, because yeah. as a kid, you accepted face value. Oh, he's the idiot. He's the smart guy. Of course, of course <laughs> yeah. you do. Of course. Uh, and then you grow up and you realize, oh, wow, Tommy's the brains. And uh, and uh, and I got to see them um, about 15 years ago be interviewed at the Aspen Comedy Festival. Oh, yeah. And they were interviewed by their old writers, Steve Martin, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bob Einstein, you know, Super Dave yeah, Osborne, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, Mason Williams. That's right, yeah. Um, and they were talking about the old variety show and Tommy's fights with CBS over mm-hmm. censorship and, and, and how Tommy, there was a very funny story that came out that Tommy made a conscious decision at some point that he was no longer going to be financially beholden to the network. Okay. Because that's, he determined that that was their power over him. Mm-hmm. And the only way he would cave is if he became like, kind of <laughs> financially indebted to them. Mm-hmm. So he made the conscious decision to, I'm going to sell my house, I'm going to sell my car, I'm not going to own anything, and wow. I'll, that way I'll always have the leverage. And the writers, I think it was Bob Einstein, said, yeah, it would have been nice if you had told the rest of us. Uh, <laughs> right. Because we were buying houses. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Holy crap. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it was a fascinating story to oh. hear uh, what was going on behind the scenes at the time. Yeah. Because there's, there's this documentary called Smothered that I think uses a lot of footage from that. Right, yeah. And it's really very interesting, sweet stories. That's one I wish I'd have heard, though. Yeah. That, to <laughs> me, is the pure... That's a story of a pure artist. Yes. Um, I And, man, that's crazy. That's yeah. just crazy. Just because that guy is like... I mean, for people who don't know, not only does he play the, the dumbass in, in, in where his brother's a straight character, but, like, behind the scenes, not just a creative force, but also... The rebellious, like, kind of, like, angry child, but also very smart. Right, yes. You yeah. know, he's the one who had to rock the boat because he seemed, seemingly had no chance. Yes, absolutely. And on, you oh. know, cuts like, well, like on the Battle of John, of John, Ballad of John Henry, like, mm-hmm. where they would take these kind of, uh, you know, fables and, and blow them up. Because yeah. they had, certain, you know, some songs, like some of the cuts you'll hear today are, you know, maybe like a minute long, a minute and a half, mm-hmm. two minutes. Mm-hmm. But then they would have these pieces like, you know, John Henry that might go seven or eight minutes yeah. long where they're really telling a story. And, you know, the fun, once you started to learn the, the rhythm of their act and what they did was, first of all, they were great musicians and singers. Mm-hmm. They were really, really good. But at the, the other party was like waiting for Tommy to wreck it. Absolutely. <laughs> and the anticipation for me as a kid of like, when is he going like, to mess this up? And when is Dick going to get mad? And, uh, uh, you know, it was just so exciting. And, and I, 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 but it was because they were so talented as musicians, it could come at any time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that's what made it part of the fun was that they were so skilled. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But uh, yeah, the, like John Henry, the thing about you know, this baby, you know, done wet all over me. <laughs> <Something> <laughs> That's like that. right. Uh, it was great. And then Tommy's the uh, doing the the steel drive the hammer the, the sound of the yeah. wah, 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 and it just builds to this crazy branch that I could not get enough of as a kid and then when I re-listened to it a few weeks ago mm-hmm. it made me laugh just as hard of how big he commits to it yeah yeah it's so true I, I uh, there's also and I've never sat and broken it down I'm, I'm barely a musician of any kind but like the whole the the decision to break it when they're going to break it is yeah. so big because yeah. sometimes it's like they'll get a stanza into the song or whatever they'll he'll fuck it up and then they'll just stop they'll just yes. stop. this is the end of the bit yeah but so, or like no this is how we're going to fix the song and he doesn't really fix it yes yeah you know? but they'll still finish it out anyway <laughs> does it have uh, maybe it's not on here so it won't be worth talking about in terms of this. Oh, it doesn't. Black is the color is probably one of my favorite bits oh, yeah, ever, that's ever done. Just because it's just because it's like got this. That's one of those that goes over your head. But if you look it up, like oh okay, they're referencing an old old commercial. That, it's you know, the uh, only her, her hairdresser knows uh-huh. for sure, right? Yes, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Oh wait, but they do it on Laredo. That's perfect. They do the same kind of bit in Laredo. Yeah, okay. <laughs> where they actually do the song "Streets of Laredo," but then end it. With a, a commercial sounding slogan, do you know if it's a specific commercial or if it just sounds like a commercial? Uh, I, I, if I heard it, I would be able uh, to tell you. Because the, uh, uh, the line is, uh, I can see by your outfit that you are a cowboy. Oh, da, 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 da. Yeah. You'd be a cowboy, too. Yes, uh, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's the whole bit. That, oh, and it gets a big laugh, and then my thought is, is it a specific commercial, or is it sound Can we play the end of it? Yeah, let me, let me see if I can pull it up. <laughs> let me just pull it up really quick. Um, let's see here. So what was your experience, while I pull it up, what was okay. your experience watching the TV show? Uh, I mean, you would have been a pretty little, but, but when... Do you, yeah. Oh, I think the, when, the, the, when the, the first variety show started was... 66, 67? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so I was like about 10 or 11 years old. Yeah. Uh, uh, I loved it. It, w- it was fun. Um, the the way that show evolved from kind of a straight format, you know, comedy variety show mm-hmm. where they would come out, do an opening bit. They'd have a musical guest. They'd do a few sketches. Kind of a Sonny and Cher style. Sure. You know, comedy hour to very quickly evolving into the political mm-hmm. show that it became because of the Vietnam War and Tom and Dick became so politically active and aware, uh, and and the tone of the show shifted dramatically. Yeah. To the, I remember my dad got really pissed off. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, but that was a, a phase like where my dad got really angry at like people who started off as kind of like straight comedians, like the Smothers Brothers or like George Carlin, mm-hmm. and then became political. Mm-hmm. Nothing pissed my dad off more <laughs> than the, they, they were straying out of their lane uh-huh. and, and uh-huh. talking about stuff they had no right to talk about in his opinion. Oh, that's amazing. And okay. Because the Smothers Brothers, much like the Beatles started, you know, they, the skinny ties, sure. suit jackets, short hair. Uh, and then when they started to let the sideburns and mustache grow, that's when my dad would lose, <laughs> you know. And it was the same with Carlin with the the beard and the bell bottom. My dad was furious. <laughs> it was a personal betrayal to him. Oh my god! Uh, so the Smothers Brothers show went through a very you know quick involvement into much more political material, mm-hmm. and they were constantly testing you know the bound the boundaries of what they could get away with and what would America accept mm-hmm. and it was really you know gutsy for that time mm-hmm. of what they were what they were trying to accomplish and i believe they got censored um i think Pete Seeger was had been on the show singing mm-hmm. uh 
waist deep in the big muddy, yes. and I think it had been edited out the first time, and then they so. had him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they really took pretty ballsy stands yeah. for for at that time, and I, I admire them a lot for that. And for once sure. again, I think that's kind of been forgotten over the years because mm-hmm. you when you when the list of kind of groundbreaking comedians you know every once in a while it gets talked about you hear about Carlin and Richard Pryor mm-hmm. and and people like that but you, you seldom hear the Smothers Brothers name and they, they were taking on you know the big corporate you know corporations and networks on a weekly basis yeah at the uh, same time as the government yes like, yeah it's a big fight yeah it was huge yeah. <laughs> I walked out in the riddle one day I spied a young cowboy All dressed in white linen Dressed in white linen As cold as the clay I see by your outfit That you are a cowboy I see by your outfit you are a cowboy too We see by our outfits that we are both cowboys If you get an outfit you can be a cowboy too <laughs> Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, and I, 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 again, that's why I always, you know, I always have to check. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm always curious if I miss something. Uh, But it is one of my favorite bits. Yes, one of my favorite bits of all time. Um, And uh, yeah, so and we did by chance listen to uh, to Hangman. Uh, which is again yeah. a dumb, very quick. It's one of those quick ones. It's very quick joke, but very simple, uh, brilliant. And once again, you know, Tommy, just the quick sound effect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just... I also really like uh, when, well, when he makes Dick break. Yeah, those are bits I love, <laughs> and they don't have to necessarily leave them in, but it adds a whole bunch of charm and I guess a reminder to people who don't get it that's, that it's an act. I guess that's necessary. Yeah, well, it actually it's. I had an experience where I went to see them about seven or eight years ago. They came out here. They were playing over at Pepperdine. So I took my mm-hmm. kids to see them. Uh, and, you know, I told them, I said, I, you know, worship these guys growing up. They were a huge influence. on me. And the one thing I did not prepare them for, because I didn't think about it, they had never seen a comedy team. Like with the, the idea of a straight man and a funny wow. guy. So they're watching the show and they're loving it. And the, the, it was fantastic and then afterward I was talking to them and I said they, and I said what'd you think and they said well the Tommy was hilarious but Dick was such a drag <laughs> like why did he keep telling him to shut up and be serious and, and, I, and I had to explain how a, a you know a comedy act wow. used to work that one guy was the straight guy and the other guy got to be the funny guy oh and my God. they hadn't seen that before and it, it is kind of a lost art right you know the idea of like somebody you know we used to joke on the, the Simpsons, like George Meyer and I used to love to do any like standard comedy team, but it's all kind of based on Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis sure. or, or the Smothers Brothers, where one of them was like, now why did you have to go and ruin this song? The people came to hear a nice song, and you have to go mess it up, <laughs> which is kind of the essence of a lot of those acts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but my kids were not familiar with the concept because it doesn't exist anymore. That never occurred to me. Yeah. Holy yeah. Shit. <laughs> I'm sitting here, I mean, I just had to research old vaudeville sketches for I'm trying to write a book based on the podcast and I'm looking into like you think you know vaudeville yeah. but then when you decide to actually read old 
mostly super racist vaudeville yeah. sketches. <laughs> you're like, oh, right. And it never occurred to me that that is a thing. Like, the only two-man comedy team I can think of right now are the Sklar Brothers, and they're both funny in their own ways. Yes, exactly. You know? yeah. Neither of them are straight men. Yeah, no, that's kind of the, wow. the, the trend now. But uh, Dick Smothers was a brilliant straight man for Tommy. And it, had there been two Tommies out there, it, it would have been a very different you know, type of show. But it, it did... It, it just added to that. You know, Dick's irritation with Tommy ruining the show was part of the fun for me as mm-hmm. as a kid. And uh, and they also they would do stuff, um, you know, because they were skilled musicians. I remember once running out with my own money to buy an album of theirs mm-hmm. when I had enough money of my own. And I just grabbed it. I didn't know anything about it. It was called The Smothers Brothers Play It Straight. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, no. I buy it. I rush home with it. Put it on the stereo. <laughs> And, like, the first song is just, like, a straight folk song and sung very nicely. (laughs) All right, I guess the next one will be the funny one. Uh Another straight folk song. And then it took a while to dawn on me that the title of the album is They're Playing It Straight. This is not a comedy album. And it's just an album of beautiful singing. (laughs) I wonder, I've often wondered if that was either one of their idea and they're just like, we want to just show that we can also do, or if that's an agent thing. Like, like, no, no, no. We want to make sure just in case this comedy thing falls through. Like, what the hell? I've never quite understood why that happened. I don't know. Or it was just done to sucker 10-year-old me. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It worked. It worked well. There's this kid in Massachusetts who will buy anything you put out. <laughs> it also makes me think, too, if that perception of them as straight man and, and, and funny man, uh, if that's the reason that... Because I'm pretty sure Dick's the only one who got who did any acting work after, because he's in Casino. Very oh, small right. bits and pieces that. here yeah. and there, but like playing totally straight roles and being brilliant at it. Yeah. Uh, that's the only reason I ever watched Casino because yeah. I found out he was in it because uh, I was an ignorant young man but what are you going to do and so watch it but yeah it's it's weird that I never I don't remember I know that Dick's mother he, he er, uh, uh, Tommy did some acting parts but yeah I don't know I just wonder if that perception kind of just followed them yeah yeah no it's a, the, the act is still I mean when I saw I think they're kind of retired now mm-hmm. uh, I did see a clip uh, of a, from a few years ago they were on Craig Ferguson they came out really uh, like mm-hmm. near the end of Craig Ferguson's run mm-hmm. and it's a great clip on YouTube because they walk out and Tommy does a very quick Johnny Carson impression <laughs> to the, the crowd is clapping and he just does it for Dick and for Craig Ferguson it's a physical impression it's a Carson mannerism <laughs> and it's just a laugh for them and if you're a fan of Johnny Carson yeah but I always saw a lot of Johnny Carson in Tommy Smothers mm-hmm. like there's there's very even like their facial structure their the mannerisms That's the reactions mm-hmm. uh, and uh, I they're obviously I, I think I if I'm not mistaken, I thought Johnny Carson once said he thought Tommy Smothers was the funniest person he ever met. Yeah. I could be wrong on that. But uh, he's certainly, like, up in the top and definitely underrated. Absolutely. So I, that's why I, I wanted to do this podcast today, was just to urge people to check out their whole catalog, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, not only just the records, you know, but, uh, you know, look up the old shows online yeah. and, and, and their classic bits, because they're amazing and, and it's the type of comedy that doesn't get performed much anymore. Absolutely. And I, it's for me, it still holds up to the point where when they were doing, when I saw them at the Laugh Factory, I want to say, around 2004, uh, you know, I luckily had, I, I really, I brought my Purple Onion thinking I'd get it signed. Yeah. But they were doing really solid George W. Bush bits. They were bashing him and doing it yeah. brilliantly. <laughs> and they were both, what, 71, 72 at the yeah. time? You know, yeah. just full on, just... They just transplanted the old show, except for except for uh, Tommy doing some yo-yo. Other than that, yeah, you know. Also, the yo-yo man stuff. 
It's one of those, it sounds like a dopey bit, but mm-hmm. if you watch Tommy's face and his physicality while he's oh, performing yeah. it, there's a little dance movement, a, a head jiggle he does that just is hysterical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels like, but when I saw him at Pepperdine a few years back, they they came out and they showed like a retrospective of clips before they came out, okay. which was terrific. Also stuff like Tommy was an amazing gymnast, which I did not know. Wow, okay. Yeah, I mean, you see him like in college mm-hmm. and he's like super ripped. Wow. Uh, yeah. And uh, but he came out and like the first seven or eight minutes he was doing this long. It was in uh, at Pepperdine in Malibu. So he was doing the story of the Chumash Indian tribe uh-huh. in Malibu and seemingly like. You know, just riffing off the top of his head. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there were things in there he was pulling from 40 or 50 years of sure. bits, but he was able to make it sound fresh and off the top of his head and tailoring it to the audience that wow. they were playing in front of, which was really impressive. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. You know, and I, it, yeah, <clears throat> age shouldn't be a factor in, in saying, well, it's a good thing they're still funny, but honest to God, like to still be sharp. As a comedian, is not easy. No, yeah, yeah. We see this kind of thing all the time. Eventually, you fall into your your old patterns. Yeah, and I think it, there's something about them where I don't know that they had a pattern other than other than like straight guy, funny guy. Like there didn't seem to be. Yeah, you know, even their <laughs> even their their songs don't fall into a pattern. It's like other than being folk, we'll do the folk. But like we said, you know, it depends on when they decide to interrupt it, when it makes the most sense, when's the audience going to get bored. I do yeah. wonder if they did that, if they tested it, like, when's a good time to interrupt this song? Like, are they falling asleep now? Yes. You know, yeah, yeah, no, I'm sure there's a lot of trial and error of how far do we take the song mm-hmm. straight before we ruin it. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, and uh, there's clearly some songs that they just want to do a nice job on, or they like the way it sounded musically, yeah. because they were, you know, like I said, they were such talented musicians and singers. And that harmony, the harmonies are, uh, you know, incredible. Oh, yeah. oh, it's yeah. that... It's that DNA that comes from siblings, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't you true, know, yeah. duplicate. It just sounds so good. So I'm sure there was a lot of trial and error, and you probably re- they probably realized, well, they, they like us enough now where we could do one straight song and no mm-hmm. one's going to complain. Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's true. And that's, that's five minutes less comedy that we have to make. <laughs> right, <over>. right. <laughs> Which, I mean, make no mistake, comedy's not necessarily easy. Uh, um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's ones on here that we have. I mean, I haven't talked about a bunch of them. Uh, let's see. We did Hangman. Uh, oh, you know what? Actually, does, does do they do the same? They don't do the same bit in Tom Dooley. What is? I know that the bit is mostly Tom getting the lyrics completely wrong in Tom Dooley. Yes, yeah. Calls him Tom yeah. crudely. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one I wasn't like a giant fan of. Sure. Uh, do you have Do you have one on this list? I mean, you can look at the list absolutely. Yeah, the the one that really stands out, or a few that really stand out that we haven't talked about. Um. Because, you know, I mean, regardless, I could, I, you can be, uh, you know, I, I try to be discriminating, but I love them all at least a little bit. You know, there's yeah. like bad Smothers Brothers track. My old man's a sailor, what do you think about that? He wears a sailor's collar, he wears a sailor's hat, he wears a sailor's raincoat, he wears a sailor's shoes, and every Saturday evening he reads the Sunday news, and someday, if I can, be a sailor the same as my old man my old man's an anthropologist what do you think about that he wears an anthropologist collar wears an anthropologist hat he wears an anthropologist raincoat he wears anthropologist shoes every saturday evening he reads the anthropologist news and someday if i can i'm gonna be an anthropologist
psychologist the same as my old man My old man's a Negro. What do you think about that? Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm afraid Don't you're incorrect. My old man's a Negro. He is not a Negro. You are a no fascist. No chance. I'm not a fascist. <laughs> then you know some people who are. <laughs> I know you, and I know me, and I know you're my brother, so that makes it impossible, absolutely Im genetically impossible for your you... old man to be a Negro. You know why? Because my old man is not a Negro. No wonder Mom always liked you best. <laughs> nothing to do. Nothing to do. It's so pre-irony that somehow it's sincere and angry at the same time. Like right. It's, yeah. You know, even even like, and it's perfect because they get it under the wire based on what we're talking about. Right. Clean cut, handsome. Everybody's paying attention, and then they at least have one opportunity to throw something in your face like your dad. Right. <laughs> <You're not comfortable, laughs> One thing is going to piss you off, but at least you heard it. Yes. You know? Yeah, yeah. God. Uh, so, yeah, uh, apologize. It was not the bit that I thought it was going to be. No, that's okay. The... I had the same thing. Like, There's so many different versions of things yes. out there. Mm -hmm. uh, it was hard to track down like the, all the ones I remembered uh, as a kid. So mm -hmm. yeah, this is uh, hopefully will just serve as a great general overview and introduction to people who haven't mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, listened to the albums uh, of the Smothers Brothers or seeing you know, the classic clips that are available online because mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're like I said it, it's what they're one of the great uh, parts of comedy that I think have faded away a little too quickly yeah, they sure. don't get remembered enough uh, yeah. and maybe part of it is because they've you know kept a lower profile over the years too. True. so you know they're not still out there but uh, you know there's a lot of comedy that I think that owes a, a great debt to them and mm. their constant, you know, boundary pushing. Sure. Uh, they, you know, the, the, the first people to really take on the network censorship. And, right. And, and to fight those battles and win. Right. You know? <laughs> I, they're, they're, they're guys who I would like to see get, like, the Mark Twain Award before it's too late. Yes, you know what I yeah. Mean? Something yeah. like that would be very nice to recognize yeah. that. Their contribution, of course, like, a massive, amazing, eventually heavily influential writing team that is ridiculous. Yeah. That writing team is insane. Yeah. Uh -huh. A young, pre-white-haired Steve Martin, uh, Mason Williams... Uh, my God, what's his name? Super Dave Osborne. What's his real name? Oh, Bob Einstein. Thank you, Bob yes. Einstein. <laughs> and I'm sure there are a ton of other people who worked on the show that I'm, I'm, I, I can't think of. But all, all these. Oh, um, uh, Rob Reiner wrote on the show as well. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, a very, yeah. very young man. Yeah. Um, and it's just had it had it's one of those shows that had this ripple in pop culture that is absolutely undeniable yeah. yet a lot of people aren't going to look at when Harry met Sally and think Smothers Brothers they're not going to look at this and yeah. think Smothers Brothers and they did divide uh, audiences generationally because they started out as a family act yeah. that everyone enjoyed and then very quickly you know I, I you know my dad was not the only one who got pissed sure <laughs> it, it happened like right down the line you yeah. know like where but they were they were pushing and it, it was a time when things were evolving very quickly, and I, it, it sounds crazy to compare their creative evolution to the Beatles, mm -hmm. but in terms of a span of time, it happened that fast. It's true, you know? so, yeah. And, and I guess that's an element of the time, but it's also an element of having that strong of a voice within a, any creative group. Yes, you know? yeah. I mean, there are acts, I think, that you could think of, not, not two-man acts, but necessarily, but acts who probably who survived the counterculture 
and kept going. Like Don Rickles has yes. always been Don Rickles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Bob Newhart, you never saw. The worst I've seen him do, like he swore a bunch. He said shit a bunch of times, yeah. <laughs> and it was great. He did it. He did it artfully. Uh, but like these guys all survived by just staying the course the whole yeah. way. And, you know, you don't think any less of them, but yeah. it is really remarkable when somebody like the Smothers Brothers does it. Oh, yeah. And and they also broke a lot of the, like, best musical acts on mm. their variety show. Oh, like yeah, right. The Who. Mm-hmm. They, one of the legendary rock uh, appearances of any band on American television was The Who on the Smothers Brothers. Yeah. When Keith Moon, they had overloaded the explosives That's right. in the drums, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it went off. And I think they credited that as part of Pete Townsend's Hearing loss mm-hmm. was from the Smothers Brothers show, yeah, uh, and they had all the the great acts. Uh, everybody wanted to be on that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was that cool of venue, and and they they really sought out the top acts of the uh, of the time. And and Tommy, you'll find in like videos like John Lennon's "Give Peace a Chance." Wow, Tommy Smothers is on that track, and John references references Tommy during the song. Holy shit. Yeah. How did I not know this? Yeah, he's, a, and he's in the video with all the people wow. chanting, give peace a chance, Tommy Smothers is in there. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, it feels like that's a moment, too. It would have been amazing to see the Beatles on that show. Individually, I know that at least George Harrison was on there, but yes. I guess this is the time when the Beatles all hated each other, so they're not going to get together on the show, <laughs> which is sad, because uh, they weren't brothers. You know, it might have been easier if they were yeah. brothers. <laughs> Can you, when you look back on something like the Smothers Brothers, since you're not a musical comedian and you only did stand-up for a brief period and you're kind of rediscovering it, is there a way to peg what their influence was on your writing? Oh, wow. Because um... it's hard. Like, when I ask that question, it's, it's, it's it stumps... Because it would stump me, but it's one of those things where it's like sometimes I feel like it's just in a, your work is an amalgam of influences where it's kind of hard to figure out well what did this one person do? Yeah, I think um, the Smothers Brothers definitely gave me uh, a great appreciation of um, like I, I mentioned before, like the combination of seemingly juvenile material, but wrapped in this much more sophisticated shell that you weren't necessarily aware of that mm-hmm. you were being exposed to these things and I and I, you mentioned like that the Simpsons kind of did that when it started you mm-hmm. you thought you were watching a cartoon about a family but it was actually saying a lot more at the same time yeah it, not that we're, we don't shy away from doing kind of dumb lowbrow sure. jokes but within the show you'll get all kinds of uh, of jokes thrown at you and references and commentary mm-hmm. and I think the Smothers Brothers were terrific at that and Tommy in particular I have like a real soft spot for silly comedy when it's done like what I consider like brilliantly executed silly comedy sure. and I, I put Tommy's mothers in that category and Steve Martin uh, uh, you know and Monty Python uh, it's that absurd they take it to that absurd level uh, of fun where you know this, this guy is so smart, and but he's so brilliant at acting so dumb, mm-hmm. uh, and it's working on so many levels uh, mm-hmm. that as a writer, if you can, you know, write that sort of material or find a person who can perform that that way, mm-hmm. it's really like kind of like the best of all worlds. You yeah, know? that for me personally, I, I mean, I love that that mix of silly and smart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as opposed to just silly for silly sake or sure. lowbrow for lowbrow sake. I like it when there's something else going on at the same time. Right. And I think the Smothers Brothers did that. And and I think I grew up watching them like at a time when, you know, I was 10, 11, 12 years old. They were shaping some of my social course, consciousness yeah. without realizing I, mean, I was becoming aware. You know, we were watching the Vietnam War in our living rooms every night on the news. Mm-hmm. And, 
Uh, and you know so and it was talked about at your family dinner table and and they were part of the conversation you know all these shows were like the Smothers Brothers and and Johnny Carson's monologue and Mm -hmm. you know uh, people were talking about and you were watching people kind of wake up to something was going on in the country that didn't feel right like suddenly like we weren't number one anymore we weren't the winners or, or we were starting to question the stories we were being told by our government mm-hmm. and what's going on with this war. And I remember seeing like, you know, um, older brothers of friends of mine coming back from the war mm-hmm. and they were not the same. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, I, I was becoming a teenager and so you, the, I was learning a lot about the world at that time. And, you know, people like the Smothers Bows were part of the, 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 the education. Yeah. You know, and it's making me think, the more you talk about that, the it's making me think that, you know, Tommy, Tommy playing dumb uh, is him hiding satire behind two very convenient but perfectly uh, perfectly designed layers. One is the clean-cut guys. There three layers, really. One's the clean-cut guys. Once that's gone away, you've still got the music yeah. to hide behind. Not hide behind, but use as a mask. Yeah. And then... He's got the idiot character, which he never really let up. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like to again use those as all like that. I feel like that's one of those like if if anybody's got a shield, you've got the opportunity to, three punches to get through these layers of armor. Right. Yeah. Let up intellectual yeah. armor, whatever. Yeah. And that's kind of perfect. It's also perfect that you grew up in a time at that per- like it, this is always the age too, twelve, thirteen, around there. Yeah. Is when I feel like people that's when they they think back to their first album. That's when they kind of seems to be the first thing they remember. Yeah, well, there's also, too, um, somebody, uh, we, we sometimes we're asked about The Simpsons, about, like, what's the ultimate message of The Simpsons, mm-hmm. if, there, if there's a lot, and, and I remember, I think it was George Meyer, one of the original writers, he said, like, question authority mm-hmm. is kind of, like, the general uh, message of the show, and I think that was, the, like, at that time, you know, with acts like The Smothers Brothers and... and and George Carlin and Richard, like you were starting to be pushed to not just accept jokes like you know, take my wife please, sure, <laughs> you know, sure. uh, <laughs> that you know, which I love, you know, but uh, um, you were you were it was question authority. It's like don't take everything at face value. Mm-hmm. You, you and and it was a time you know of like late sixties Vietnam where we were realizing we're not being told the truth. Yeah. You know things aren't what they seem or what they want what we want them to be and America was going through some gigantic changes mm-hmm. and and uh, you know TV was a big part of that and they could reflect only so much because they were so restricted you know by the censorship at the time and the fact that people like the Smothers Brothers could you know get through those cracks and open up those tiny loopholes once in a while to sneak their commentary in mm-hmm. and then later on in the 70s with Saturday Night Live and sure. stuff like that that you you know you started to get exposed to more points of view and different types of comedy yeah um, but like you know, I said they were they were you know groundbreaking in in my opinion and and I think the stuff still holds up, you it know. Does. This, it does. It's the the brother dynamic. They didn't even hit like mom always liked you best, which is probably what the thing people might remember the sure. most as far as like a catchphrase. Mm-hmm. But that came like probably four or five albums into it their did. career. Yeah, yeah, It was not how they started their act. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would sometimes talk about their father as if it was, t- yeah, as if they had two different fathers. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was. An, it was an odd. That's a good point. Yes, they were uh, like in that clip we were just listening to. That, <laughs> Tommy is referring to Dick's father <laughs> as if, if as if it's not his own. But uh, so uh, that always just added another layer of comedy: the fact that they were siblings, yeah. uh, which is 
you know, universally relatable to people. Yeah. And you, it allows you as an adult to act juvenile because you're still carrying around those juvenile grudges exactly. and, yeah, and all yeah. those slights and hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the cover of the album uh, Mom Always Liked You Best. Uh, it's still like in my head. Uh, like the, it's Dick standing there with like a new bike and a wagon and mm-hmm. all this like shiny new toys. And I think Tommy has a chicken. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh. They're good. They're good in terms of, of, of cover design too. All really nice covers. They're yes. really good. Yeah. Fun stuff to hold. You know, I man, the more you're making me think about it, again, you can also see, I think, a clear cultural leap from the Smothers Brothers to the Simpsons. I think they are very good comparisons to use because so then that went off in 60, so 20 years later. Yeah. You know, it goes off in 69, I think, uh, and it's canceled in 69, should point out. And in 89, The Simpsons happens. And I mean, that's the first people writing on the show are a generation of people who are exactly that age when this shit's happening to them in their brains and yeah exactly it's a direct response but not guys who these are the more interesting not more but one of the most interesting things about that is these guys are all just a little too young to have had like access to hey I can write I can write the Harvard Lampoon I can I could sit here you know even though they're Harvard guys a lot yeah. you know they, they didn't have that access to that outlet so I guess you sit kind of captive in front of a TV yeah and eventually you, you're kind of perfectly built to write a TV show that's 20 years later, a perfect response to that kind of shit. Yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Know. We did uh, on The Simpsons as an opening to one of our Halloween shows. Uh, it might be like season six or seven. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. But it's a uh, the Fox censor going through the script. Uh-huh. Uh, and he's like kind of laughing and crossing things out. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it winds up, because it's a Halloween show, we wind up I think maybe decapitating the censor or something like that. But it's based on uh, a Smothers Brothers uh, bit from their variety show that Uh Steve Martin is in where a a script is being handed down the line Uh to a a group of censors and they're all reading it, cracking up, and then crossing things out or tearing pages (laughs) out. And then they finally wind up handing... You know Tom and Dick, what's left of the script? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so it's a direct influence. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, uh, right there. So, but the fact that the 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 hurdles they had to go through to get the slightest bit of social commentary or political commentary on mm-hmm. the air, uh, I really admire because you know I know like we we have a lot more leeway now. Sure. But there's still stuff we just can't. Say or of course corporate sponsorships and sure. things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that they were doing it back then and 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 that it was so important to them when they could have just done you done a very fine weekly variety show mm-hmm. and not caused any problems for anybody. Of course, of course. <laughs> and gotten very wealthy in the process yeah. and just had a good time. I admire that they they took the uh, the harder road and they had essentially a third of the audience of all TV. You yes. know, that's another yeah. thing to keep in mind is that there was no cable. There was yeah. no, what is there, five, six networks now. Yeah, but one of the great thrills I had in 1988, they had there was a revival of their show, I mm-hmm. believe, yes. on, on one of the networks. And 1988 was, there was a Writers Guild strike. Mm-hmm. And they did a bit, they didn't want to violate the union rules. They weren't making their writers work. Mm-hmm. But they, they had a show to do. So they did a bit called uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky, Mm -hmm. based on the song Ghost Riders Mm -hmm. in the Sky. And they asked a bunch of striking writers to come down on stage, and I was one of them. And it was like my, I had only been in the guild for like two years, and we all wore like Groucho glasses uh, and hiding, and they performed in front of us, and we sang the chorus 
ghost writers in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> As crap. if we were like scabbing material. I for love them. it. Oh, that's and so that was good. such a huge thrill just to be on stage with them. Holy crap. Uh, yeah. Wow. But they were very supportive of. Uh, you know, of of their writers and and uh, of unions in general, and and just kind of doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The story they tell is that when CBS asked them to come back, like, hey, be as daring as you want. They basically said, fuck you. We're gonna make. We're yeah. just gonna make the whatever. We're not gonna be daring. You know, just, they're, they're just you tell us to be. You know, rebellious. Why would we rebel? Right. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that makes it. I love that. Oh, that's so. You know, the only problem is you can't get any of these shows on DVD. And it drives me nuts. It's yeah. only a few years of TV, right? I mean, it can't be... Although, were they hour-long or hour-and-a-half? Do you know? They were hour-long shows, hour-long I believe. Shows, yeah. And there was different incarnations where they had different mm-hmm. names. It was like... I think it was the Smothers Brothers show, then Smothers Brothers Good Time. Sometimes, like, the summer version would have a different name. Have a different or, name, okay. Or they would... They, they, they would deliberately play with it, too. There was... The other Smothers Brothers something. other <laughs> they, they would just stretch them out. There was a, kind of this circle of people of, like, them... And Glenn Campbell yeah. and Steve Martin and Mason Williams that were all kind of doing, appearing on each other's shows yeah. and doing stuff. So, uh, yeah, I don't know how, if the rights are just all tangled up legally. Right. Yeah, it would be great if somebody could put together at least a compilation of the best of. Yeah, even that. Uh, nice. Stuff would be fun for people to see. Yeah, because I think the best you can do is probably go to the, to a museum to watch them, I'm guessing. I guess, yeah. 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 I guess I'm going to have to do that now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, is there any other particular songs you want me to reference? Uh, if, or, if, if you've got any thoughts on any, we can. But I think we've, I think we've generally covered the Smothers Brothers in good, in, okay. in, in general. Uh, I talked that Detrees is really funny just because he just keeps giving... Dicky shit for saying he talked to the trees. Oh, go ahead. Even though it's a beautiful song. Let me see if I can pull it up. If not, I have it on my computer. Oh, if you do, okay. Which is also one of the great uh, Smothers Brothers bits. Because the song, literally, we talked earlier about how they decided at what point do we veer off the song or ruin it. And the song is literally, like, musically just starting to soar mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. with their harmonies when Tommy, when you hear Tommy in the background, what a stupid song. <laughs> uh, which has to be a, a tough choice to make musically. Uh-huh. It's really working. Uh, but comedically, you need to, you know, kick in the, the, uh, the other gear. But uh, hearing him do that long bit where Dick just yells and yells at him, uh, a couple memories is first of all, I really miss the word "shut up" in comedy. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. I loved it as a kid. Uh-huh. I love it as an adult, <laughs> and I tried to teach it to my kids uh, <laughs> when I was raising them. Even though other parents would, you know, frown and say, "No, they should say be quiet." Like, "Be quiet's not funny. Shut up is funny." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, hearing Dick yell "shut up" brings back great memories. Uh, but also, I, I remember now, like when Dick goes on that long tear against Tommy, and it's in a few of their bits. And then Tommy finally just comes back with, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's kind of a great all-purpose response when somebody's really, you know, giving you a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. I think, and I think he does it in one other track, but that is a good record for reusing a joke. In all those tracks, they'll reuse it once, to the best of my knowledge. And there's a, there's a bathroom joke on there. There's a pee yeah. joke, but it's so perfectly written. Yes. Like, it, you know, he doesn't have to say, it's just... Oh, it's so good. It's yeah, so good. yeah. And Tommy's delivery is so cool, and it's impossible to imitate mm-hmm. because it always sounds like he's just making the words up as he goes along. There's Absolutely. like a built-in partial stammer where it sounds like it doesn't sound scripted. Right. And I don't know how he... It's just part of his comic delivery. Yeah. Uh, but it's brilliant because it makes it feel so fresh and alive every time you hear it. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, for, for me, it feels like the same thing that... 
Uh, you know, same with Bob Newhart. Yeah. I also now wonder, like, as I'm stammering, speaking about yeah. it, you also wonder, shit, did these guys influence my own speech patterns you listen totally. to? Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Oh, my God. You want, you have to wonder. Totally. The Smothers Brothers also, I just remember, introduced me to Pat Paulson. Oh. And uh, once again, and getting me into like political comedy, which I, mm-hmm. as, as you know, at that age, I wasn't that into. Sure. Um, but when they started the Pat Paulson for President yes. campaign, I was in sixth grade, mm-hmm. and I we had a school newspaper in, in our sixth grade class uh-huh. called the Weekly Flash. <laughs> uh-huh. I was the editor of the paper, and my teacher had said, you know, you should. Uh, it was. The was the nineteen sixty eight campaign maybe, mm-hmm. uh, and so he said, "Well, we should you should endorse somebody. You're the editor of the paper. Uh-huh. You should endorse a political candidate for president." And I took the Pat Paulson thing seriously as a kid. <laughs> I thought he was a viable third party choice. I love it. So in oh. the in the West Springfield, uh, Massachusetts Weekly Flash school newspaper, I endorsed Pat Paulson uh, for president. Uh, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh I, I, and it was funny. And then and I think. Twenty years later, they did the, the act again, and they mm-hmm. brought Paulson out, Pat Paulson out, and he did the same jokes, but they had been changed to Reagan jokes. Really? Yes. Yeah. Good. <laughs> oh, that's so good. I didn't know they did that because I yeah. have. There was a an album, a Pat Paulson for President album, and a companion book, which you can. You the reason you can tell the difference between the two is that the album is obviously just all Pat Paulson being hilarious. Yeah. The book has got quotes from the stuff that was written for him and that he said, and also some really dark shit that was written by Mason Williams. <laughs> it opens with a just a profanity and, uh, um, what's the word, derogatory terms. It's just, it's just filled with just some, like, here's some, here's, we're just going to offend your senses immediately. Right, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. I think I even have a bump. I think I have a Pat Paulson for uh, President bumper sticker now too. Um, it's one of my favorite things of all time. Yeah, my uh, mother had to actually explain to me that it wasn't like oh, a real candidate. That's so good. That is so good. Because <laughs> I believed in him so much that yeah. he, he was so damn funny. Sure. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, why wouldn't I want him for president? <laughs> Some of those bits about just I mean, gun rights, everything, everything yeah. that they had him say was yeah. just yeah. so brilliant. Um, well, this has been a lot of fun. I, I don't want to take any more of your time, but I also want to make sure, like, normally I say, why would you recommend the album? But I feel like you've all, it's not really, we're, we're talking about their whole damn career. Right, and I yeah. like that we've done that. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because these yeah. are, like, if I'm going to pick my, my favorite comedy acts of all time, they're in the top five for sure. And I, I think it's, it's good to just do a general endorsement of their whole career. Right, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that's the best way to experience them is to kind of go through their stuff, see their most popular bits, mm-hmm. and don't limit yourself to just you know one album because yeah. a lot of times you go back to like the first one you listen to and you realize some of it doesn't you know mm-hmm. with any with anything whether it's music or comedy or movies you go back to stuff you loved as a kid yeah. and it doesn't always hold up exactly. and I'm uh, and I'm sometimes afraid to go back and look at something that I loved yeah you know it's it's the reason like. Don Knotts, The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorite movies, but I'm so afraid to watch uh-huh. it. Again. I get <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, so, I, yeah, just to, for people to just go back and if you if you are a fan of the Smothers Brothers, go back and re-enjoy you know, some of the other stuff, but if you've never experienced them, please go back and you're a fan of comedy, check them out and yeah. see what what they were all about and, and uh, the influence, the, the, their influence and how it carries on to this day. Yeah. yeah. And and I I'll, I will just side thing, I would just recommend you see Smothered, which is a great documentary. It came oh, out yeah. in 2004. Yeah. So damn good. If you want to watch, if you want to like be angry about censorship, watch that. that is yeah. The watch. There's a great book on them too by David Biancooli. Yes, right. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, 
so you can check that out too. It's a mm. great story. They 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 really were pioneers. I can't think Dave, Dave being Cooley's name without now thinking of Dan Castle and that on Parks and Rec. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot no longer. I, I always associated him with the Smothers Brothers, but now it's specifically associated with that character. Um, uh, do you have? I don't know when this will come out. It's going to be several weeks from now. Sure. But is there anything you would like to promote? I mean, I know you're on Twitter. Oh yeah, you uh, yeah you can find me on Twitter at uh, at Scully Mike. Uh, and uh, see, I'm working on the, the Simpsons and uh, the Carmichael Show, which mm-hmm. is will be on the new season on NBC sometime this summer. We've, awesome. okay. we've heard rumors of May. We've heard rumors of August. We okay. have no idea. <laughs> All right. Uh, Gerard Carmichael, you can currently see him on HBO in a brand new stand-up special. Oh, okay. And uh, what else? Well, what else am I doing? And just hanging out. Um, yeah, the Simpsons just keeps on going. Uh, for at least another two years, till at least till we hit season thirty. Wow! And then we'll see after that. That's insane. <laughs> That's insane. That's great, though. That's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. I need to add. Um, I think. I think that's it. All right. Uh, I'm um, just going to do a personal recommendation. Look for Mike's face on, what, five, six episodes of Parks and Rec? Oh, yes. I'll, One I'll of my you, favorite yeah. parts of any town meeting is when your face pops up. I'm in uh, I'm in four episodes of four Parks episodes? and Rec. Four episodes, okay. It's, I'll tell you the story behind that. Was, uh-huh. um, I had been a writer on the show for a few years, then I had left the show, mm-hmm. and but was still friends with everybody over there, and they had a character in a town meeting. It was written for a woman. Okay. And the character's name is Pearl. Pearl, right? <laughs> uh, so Mike Schur, who created, co-created the show and ran it, called me and he said, "We got a part here," and he goes, "I think it'd be hilarious if you did it." I said, "I've never acted at all." He goes, "Trust me, it'll be great." So I go in and do it, and he told me it, it was written for a woman. Mm-hmm. But what he didn't tell me was they weren't going to change the name of the character <laughs> because he knew I would have to report like to makeup and hair and to the stage manager you have to go in as your character name and they put it on the, your dressing room door uh-huh. so everything I had to say like I'm Mike Scully I'm here to play Pearl <laughs> uh, uh, and it went so well the first time and, and that show was great because you did the scripted version first mm-hmm. and then you could play a little mm-hmm. uh, so I think the take that wound up in the first time I was in I got I did my thing about I think it was about building a a fence around, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I think my suggestion was building two fences, and then Amy Poehler, you know, on one of the takes said why, and which was not scripted, mm-hmm. and then I just had to kind of vamp a, a reason why, and I came up with the thing. Well, then, what was something about they would have a we'd have a fence around their fence, so there'd be two fences, and <laughs> and and then if they had to climb the fence, their pants might get caught. That's it, right. It, it, it's yes. just kind of, it's, it, in some respects, there's a little Tommy Smothers in there, because I'm just kind of making up silliness as I go along. So. Oh, that's so good. And it wound up being the, the take they used in the show, <laughs> and then they had me back a few other times, and it was always fun. That I had so much fun on that show. Yeah. It's, it, was, it was just a great experience. Uh, whether I was in the writer's room or on the stage, it was a great cast and so great. a lot of fun to do. I miss it, yeah. My favorite line that you were ever given on that show or came up with on your own was, well, you don't know what I, you don't know my name, you don't know what I look like, so good luck finding yeah. me. <laughs> Holy shit. That is, that's a brilliant piece of comedy no matter what. Oh. Yeah. You, and, uh, you know, people should stream it. I, Thank you. I stream yeah. it constantly. So, uh, yeah. 
uh, watch that as well. Well, Mike, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it was, it was my pleasure. I'm glad you're doing this. This is exciting. When I first uh, contacted you probably a year ago, mm -hmm. or, or I think you had done something on Burns and Schreiber. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I had worked. I'm friends, still friends with Jack Burns. You are? Yes. Uh, oh, my God. Jack and I worked together. My brother and I both were writers on a show called America's Funniest People. Yes. Which was the less successful spinoff of <laughs> America's Funniest Home Video. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but... The head writer of the show was Jack Burns. I didn't know that. So my brother Brian and I are in the room, and Jack's the head writer, and we used to watch Jack on the Ed Sullivan show, sure. doing the taxi cab, or doing your kid, taxi, kid, <laughs> and huh, yeah, huh, yeah, huh, yeah. We used to do it to each other as kids, and now we're sitting in the room with Jack, Jeez. and he's doing the bit with us. Oh my God. Which was just, like, the best. And we wow. were just in heaven uh, doing these bits with Jack. And uh, and then wound up using through that we had Jack on The Simpsons mm -hmm. playing a, a Hollywood uh, studio owner. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, right. In the episode that uh, Mel Gibson is the guest star, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jack is the <laughs> studio executive trying to get back the copy of the movie because Homer talks Mel Gibson into doing this super violent version of Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, and Jack's the studio executive. And in the the show, we get Jack to do the huh yeah huh yeah huh yeah, yeah. which was a joke just for me and yeah, any of, of my age uh, group to do that. Yeah. Uh, Bit. But yeah, the Jack wow. uh, is a good friend to this day, and my, my brother talks to him all the time. Yeah, uh, and it's truly Burns and Schreiber, one of the great comedy teams and legends, and seek them out also. Of course, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. He's just got one of the more interesting stories of like you know hopping and skipping from oh yeah group like yeah. God, that's insane to me. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, wow. and Jack hosted uh, one of the first hosts of Saturday Night Live. He hosted solo, and he's got great... I, I shouldn't tell his stories, but okay. there's a great one involving Bellucci. <laughs> corrupting oh Jack. Oh, God. Amazing. <laughs> well, uh, again, thank you for doing this. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening, and as always... Thank you all. Have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. 